we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Welcome to my inaugural episode. I'm your host, Federal Nurse Whistleblower Jody O'Malley. You can hear me every Friday at 5 and 10 p.m. on America Out Loud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and dozens more. I am humbled to be part of this network and excited for the opportunity to speak uncensored. Today, we want to announce an explosive summit with the only credentialed experts who we should have been hearing from since the beginning of this pandemic. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce my friends and colleagues, Kristen Megan and Tammy Clark. Kristen Megan is a veteran and exposure scientist with 20 years of experience in identifying and controlling health hazards to include 12 years in pandemic response. A whistleblower and freedom activist who has used her voice to protect and educate we the people. Tammy Clark is an OSHA PPE and respiratory protection expert who has worked in the fields of occupational and environmental health and safety for 20 years. She is a court approved subject matter in these fields. And along with her colleague, Kristen Megan, provided written testimony to the US Supreme Court case that helped stop the Biden administration and OSHA from implementing permanent COVID mandates on all U.S. business. Help walk us through the timeline of this entire pandemic. What was it that got you to get involved and propel you to become a whistleblower? Kristen, since I found you on Facebook in in summer of 2020, why don't we start with you? Wow, time really flies under tyranny. Well, thanks so much for having me on today, Jody. Um, I sadly have blown the whistle on several issues because I was a federal employee for 12 years, nine of active duty, and the rest was working in VA healthcare systems. And I don't pride myself in being, quote, a tattletale, but we take an oath and we have ethics in this profession. And it's so important that we make sure no matter what pressure of this costs too much, or we can't tell people this because they'll be upset or it'll upset unions. This is all unacceptable barriers in doing my job that I will never shut up in color and fall in line with. So my job is to not profit and be popular over these issues. It's just to encourage other people to stand up because most of the people in my profession work for the government. And what we've experienced over the past two and a half years was absolutely done wrong. And a lot of other industrial hygienists darn well know it. And I'm here to call them to the carpet and explain to people with you and my colleague what went wrong and what should have been done. Yeah, that's right. So many people got it um, out of their lane, if you will. Like in healthcare, we we know that we operate under our scope of practice, right? And um, and that's what upholds our licenses, you know. And when we get out of our lane and we start speaking on things that we're not credentialed to speak in, is where we can get in trouble. So, I agree with you, Tammy. Yeah. Hi, Jody. Thanks so much for having us today. 
Um, and you said it exactly right. What happened was the government decided to stick their nose in our professions and hijack our professions, bypassing all government protocol that has existed for decades and has actually um, guided the ethics of our profession and our responses during pandemic um, and proper protocol, protective measures, things like that. So that's when I really stood up and took notice of what was going on when they said we were going to be sending our children back to school in masks. I thought there is no way anybody would do that. That is crazy. That would be child abuse. Well, then they did. So I stood up and blew the whistle, knowing that this whole response and this approach was abandoning the actual science and abandoning the actual experts that actually um, dictate or manage uh, and lead pandemic response protocols and things like that. And so I, I had to stand up and say something. And I was in a position that I could because as a consultant, I own my own business and I did not work for anybody, the government or large corporation uh, that could silence me or tell me what I could or couldn't say. So I felt I had a responsibility to expose this and to stop it to the best of my ability. And uh, in doing so, that's how I met Kristen. Right. That's right. Um, you know, as a nurse, I, mean, I think it was in February when Fauci came out and said, we're not going to be a nation of mass wearers. Masks don't do anything to stop coronavirus. And also our Surgeon General came out and said, stop buying the mask. They do nothing to stop the coronavirus. And as a nurse, you know, immediately I was like, that's right. We've never worn a mask. You know, we, we don't wear masks during flu season just to protect ourselves. Um, and, you know, with my limited knowledge as a nurse, you know, um, and when I say limited, I know what mask to wear for what situation I'm in, right? And prior to this pandemic, the only time we ever put an N95 on was when we had a tuberculosis patient that was in a negative pressure room, right? Other than that, they, they just sat in our lockers um, because we had to get fit tested. So when my um, nursing inquiry started going off in my head, um, when they started implementing masks, I was like, who are those experts? What are they called that fit tested us every year? And I found industrial hygienist was the name and found Kristen um, on, on Facebook. And I started following her and soaking up everything, you know, um, that she was saying and trying to educate. And consequently, I found you and then Stephen Petty and many others. So I agree with you, you know, immediately when they wanted to put the mask over our face, I, I knew it was propaganda and it was just to promote fear. What do you ladies think? Well, I was going to say, you know, if you found me on Facebook in the summer of 2022, that was most likely my old Facebook, which I had had since 2007. I actually was doing an interview about not only do masks not work, but the proper protocol measures uh, and control measures. So I provide not just complaints, but solutions. And I said, we needed engineering controls and that masks do not provide the risk reduction rating that's required in my profession, which is 90% because masks are less than one. Engineering controls are 90 or greater. So I gave an interview on this. I go to share it, boom, my Facebook is gone and banned. So mm. luckily you found my second Facebook, but this is another issue. Uh, is the censorship. When you censor the experts, I always tell people, don't fear the illness, 
Fear the censorship of the experts that can control the exposure to the illness. Right. That's right. And just to correct you, I think you said summer of 2022. Um, I found you in summer of 2020. Oh, when yes. Did you- yeah, mm-hmm. I meant summer of 2020. Sorry, I have Biden brain today. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. So I shared all of my information or all of the information I received from you guys all the time. And what's interesting, and I want people to know, is that I was following them for well over a year. And when my story released with Project Veritas, um, Tammy and Kristen uh, reached out to me and they're like, welcome to the whistleblower family. If you need anything, um, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know you guys. And they're like, oh, you follow us. So I think that's important for the listeners to hear is that um, we need to speak our truth. We have got to um, talk and and make sure that, you know, conversations are being had because when people are afraid to talk, then they feel um, like they're alone and, um, you know, socialist society can kick in like what we've seen. And um, so, yeah, you know, we found each other and um, I'm excited that, you know, we're now friends. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun getting to know you. And I remember when your story broke and Kristen and I actually talked about you like, oh my gosh, this brave nurse, she's saying exactly the right thing. She is blowing the whistle on what is going on and what is wrong, what is happening undercover. And we need to reach out to her because we knew what you were about to go through, even though we knew you didn't really. (laughs) So (laughs) as whistleblowers ourselves, we decided we needed to reach out to you and pull you in and um, just connect with you and give you just a lot of encouragement. And, you know, courage is contagious. And that's why I like what you say, Jody, that we cannot be afraid to speak our truth, to stand up and speak, because it is very contagious. When we do, it, it empowers others too. And we had no idea that while we were standing up there uh, very courageously because we were being attacked on every angle from every level, and we were not supported by a lot of our colleagues who happened to work for the government or large companies. I mean, we've met a few over the last couple of years, and that's where this explosive summit that we did just came in. And we'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a minute. But um, we found a few others along the way. But, you know, just by standing up, we had no idea that by standing up and speaking truth and providing factual, scientific, medical and legal information, it was empowering you to do the same thing. And look at what you did. Then you stood up and you mm-hmm. blew the whistle. And then you started empowering other nurses. And it's just been this ripple effect that, you know, people have to understand that one person, one voice really does make a a difference. It's like the little candle in the darkness, right? One tiny little flame in the darkness does push back the darkness. And that's what we've been able to accomplish collectively. And since then, we've we've just become friends and, and have had fun hanging out together and and doing fun things, I think, just to help us to, you know, enjoy some laughs and some downtime together because the work that we do on the front lines is very heavy and it's very Mm -hmm. difficult. So it's been great uh, to connect with you guys and just have fun together while we're out there fighting together at the same time. Yeah. And I just want to add too, you know, when you are a whistleblower against, especially the federal government, it, I think people had this misconception that people just wanted tension And most of the attention, while we have a lot of supporters, most of the attention that has allowed his voice and the biggest change 
are the quote haters. It's the hit pieces, it's being deplatformed, it's being called a grifter. And what people tend to not really grasp is that nobody's built for this. You don't need to be a certain type of personality to kind of go up against uh, Goliath here and speak the truth. You, What happens is you realize, can I sleep at night? Mm-hmm. Is what I'm going to do going to save just one life? And that's what drives you. You don't know what's going to happen when you do it. And that's what people don't get. It's not like, oh, yes, I'm just going to be propelled in the media circuit. But with that comes other attacks from the other side of the media. So it's again, it's not a type of person. It's just how you can handle and prepare for the positive and negatives of this. And when you find other people who are going through this, it kind of a lot of times when we meet other people, Tammy and I say, oh, we're so done. We want to quit. Like, this is exhausting. We get attacked. But then we meet people like you and we go to retreats and we hit that reset button. And then it's like, we're fully charged to fight again because we, there's not, I guess what I'm trying to say, maybe Tammy can expound on this. It's not that, oh, we have followers and we have this attention. I actually do not like being in the public eye at all. I wish I wasn't on social media, but I know by removing myself and going off into the middle of nowhere doesn't benefit people that I'm able to help using my credentials. Yeah, I I would just, I would add to that too and say that, um, you know, we don't do this for fame and fortune. It has cost us literally everything in every area. But I think people that do stand up and blow the whistle from what I've seen and the people that I've gotten to know well over the last couple of years, in this, you know, circle uh, are people that are very justice driven, people that have a love for truth, come what may, they are truth speakers, they are freedom seekers, right? And so uh, people that have a strong sense of truth and justice and freedom in their DNA, it's almost like you can't help it. I have to speak truth. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even care. And uh, so if you know, I I just want to encourage people out there, though, that there is there is a lot of truth and a lot of justice driving a lot of people and they're giving into fear and they're not standing up and speaking out in their workplaces or in their circles and their schools and their businesses for fear of the repercussions. But that is what's holding the entire society back. So we have to remind ourselves that we were put here. We were born for such a time as this. We have a responsibility to speak up, to stand up. And there's a huge network, a growing network of people and supporters um, who can come around you and support you. But yes, you know, freedom is not free. That's just, that's the sacrifice we are paying right now is we are paying the price for freedom. It's not free. It never has been free. It never will be free. So what, what price are you willing to pay for your freedom? If we don't sacrifice and pay the price right now, we won't have freedom tomorrow. That's the point we're at in this country. So you know, for me, this is not political. And I know for Kristen, it's not political. This comes down to science. We knew that what was happening was violating the science, the scientific method, the scientific data and evidence that all of our protocols are based on. But what we have watched are those like doctors Fauci and Burks who have pushed these um, totally ineffective and inappropriate mandates are just doing this out of political science. They've abandoned all science. And so, you know, we have to stand up and speak. We have to, or every we will lose everything. Yeah, that's that's actually a great point. And you know, we'll I'm gonna use the Fauci and Burke example um to segue into um you educating um people on what your field of industrial hygiene is, because 
Fauci is not credentialed to speak on it. Neither is Dr. Burks, right? Um, And um, so, you know, why don't you guys tell us um, about industrial hygienists and and what you do and um, how you should have been included in this pandemic, like at, or the, the planning of it, um, how you should have been the first people consulted, right? First people. Yeah, I have to say that is the biggest thing that blows my mind is I'm not only an industrial hygienist, and I'll explain what that is in just a moment. But again, I did this as an IH for 12 years in the federal government, working in healthcare systems and actually running exercises and managing decontamination lines in in the city of Chicago to actually prepare for this. And then when the time came, it's like, we just forgot everything, which to me was all telling. But so the industrial hygiene, I, most of the people in our field do not like that we're called industrial hygienists because people think we're janitors or dentists, which I'm not knocking those professions, but we are exposure scientists. Our job in the industrial and workplace setting is to anticipate, recognize, evaluate, and control health hazards that can uh, impact employees in the workplace, but also what is happening in the workplace and how does it affect the average layperson in the community or from the environment. So most people, if they think about the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, EPA, OSHA, those are agencies that were basically acting as a liaison for different companies. So we're usually embedded or contracted into these companies. But this is the thing I always share with people on Twitter who want to say, you're not a doctor, you're not a virologist. I say no, but I train them. Um, Straight from an industrial hygiene website, it clearly says that industrial hygienists are the key players in pandemics. It says IHs understand the physics of aerosols and how a cough, sneeze, or even speech can spread virus-containing droplets through the air and what it takes to engineer out a hazard using ventilation, filtration, and barriers. And at the very bottom of this article, it actually says industrial hygienists know the ins and outs of personal protective equipment, in particular, respiratory protection. So Tammy, I love it when she usually says when we see uh, different white coats pretend that they're experts in this field, when pre-pandemic, they never knew anything about masks or respirators. They don't know what a protection factor is or a fit factor. It's malpractice. I agree with her. It's malpractice. And I have a medical background in preventive health and toxicology, but you do not see me acting outside my lane. And this is the biggest issue when we are talking about Burks and Fauci, and even the Surgeon General. While an individual may have knowledge on a topic, if you are not an expert, which a subject, a subject matter expert or credentialed in court as an expert witness on a topic, just because you know some things, if someone is available in that facet, you cite them, you reference them. So what should have happened is the Surgeon General should have said, and not just one, they should have had a handful of different industrial hygienists and said, I have conferred with industrial hygienists who told me this creates a greater hazard. It's a false sense of security. He didn't. And it's, you know what I'm saying, Jody? I'm sure there's things that you know that, um, you know, it's not something you're degreed or credentialed in, but you can speak to it. But, you know, for liability reasons, you need to pass it on to those individuals and cite them. And this is what infuriated me. And the government's responsible. The mainstream media is responsible. And again, it's the censorship. And it was this propaganda. And that is what perked my head up to go. This was never about keeping us healthy. Absolutely not. This was about control. And while we're not politicizing this, we have to call it out as for what it is. Yeah, 
That that's exactly right. I mean, as nurses, um, we operate off of uh, evidence-based practice, and physicians work off the best available science as well. What our government's reaction was was pseudoscience. They made it up, and they and they confused people. Um, even the smartest of the smart, they confused them by saying this is a novel virus and we don't know how it responds or how it acts or how it's transmitted. Um, and then they threw out there that it was transmitted via droplets, which um, was able to, you know, put the mask on people and and all of that. But, you know, as a nurse, I'll tell you, the physicians, their their limit of knowledge, say when they walk into a, a, a patient's room that are in there on isolation, I can't tell you how many times the, the physician's like, what do I need to wear? <laughs> and we're like, those masks that are hanging on the door dock or, or that gown or, or whatever the case may be, you know? So I knew immediately they weren't the experts and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that um, you guys put together this summit, um, you know, American frontline industrial hygienist and multidisciplinary support summit. Um, you can go to standupmichigan.com to hear all of our um, our interview or our speeches, I guess, um, and our thoughts on, on what should have happened. Um, but, you know, it, it's crazy that this hasn't happened before. Right. And um, so now that it has, you know, we, we see the CDC walking back, you know, their guidelines. Um, I, I went on there the other day and I see that they now have ventilation as a control measure. And it's like, oh, wow, open up your windows, go outside. When for 18 months, we told people to stay indoors. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And that's why we did this summit, because we saw that they are trying to bring back masks, even though uh, they did kind of backpedal on their uh, vaccination requirements that they no longer uh, recommend that the unvaccinated be discriminated against versus the vaccinated. They've really backpedaled on that. But if you look, they have not taken their uh, mask recommendations off for people indoors. They're still recommending mask wearing. And we started seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, here in the state of Michigan, we saw a very large school district announce that they were going to require masks again for children starting school in the fall. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. And a few days later, they uh, retracted that statement. However, we still see our government officials, government, you know, politicians who are out there campaigning right now during this election year, and they're still out there wearing masks. They're still trying to keep that narrative alive. And on the CDC website, they're not backing down on that. So we knew and we anticipated Oh my gosh, just another variant, another disease, monkeypox now. They're blowing that way out of proportion. And they're trying to bring back the mask narrative. Just the New York Times just the other day released an article showing a child uh, at a doctor's visit, and it was about monkeypox, and the young child was wearing an N95 respirator, which is totally illegal. And the manufacturers say not designed to be worn by children. It says right there, no manufacturer will approve it for that. And so we knew we needed to do something in a really big way to blow the lid off of this narrative and shut this down once and for all with the facts. 
and provide the information to people to expose the lies and educate on the facts, the truth. So people have solid information and talking points to stand on that they can have an intelligent, informed conversation about all of this with their doctors, with their schools, with their businesses, um, so that it doesn't leave people uh, where to go again, because, because we know this will come back. It's just a matter of another pandemic or the next variant. And so that's why we did the summit. We brought in the experts in our career fields that we have met over the last couple of years. And we had everybody come into Michigan and we did this big explosive summit. It's five and a half hours long, but it is loaded with information, factual information, a randomized controlled uh, tests and trials, all the studies. And that's what we needed to provide people with. And that's why we did it. So if you go to standupmichigan.com, standupmichigan.com, you will see on that homepage, watch the summit, Industrial Hygienist Summit, and you click on that little red button, uh, parts one, two, and three, and uh, then you just fill in your email and it will send you a link to the uh, to the study. And that's for security reasons, because we at Stand Up Michigan, um, we are the largest and most influential grassroots group in Michigan. And uh, we've become very influential and so we've become very attacked. And so for security reasons, our tech team now requires an email login. So you just enter your email and you'll be sent a link and you can watch all three parts. We broke it down into smaller, like one and a half hour um, blocks so that people can listen uh, while they're working or driving or whatever, but it's very, very impactful. And we're asking everybody to help us share this, um, not only in the US, but we want this to go global because people all over the world are protesting these mandates. And uh, people know this, there's just something wrong, but they don't have the facts to stand on. And that's what we provide here. And well, and Jody, what we did with this summit, as you know, because you were a part of it, is think about what you said. You knew something was wrong and you found me by looking into who manages the respiratory protection programs in healthcare. And I, Tammy found me on an interview. And then I think I found our other industrial hygienist, Tyson Gabriel, when Tammy Clark and I were actually in North Dakota. I was just looking up new videos of people calling things out. And I found him. We found Stephen Petty. We found Megan Mansell. We, and there's so many more industrial hygienists who couldn't, unfortunately, come to the summit. But we all found each other. So if we can do this and we can look for other people to make sure, and if you've paid attention, one of the highest credential people in our profession is Mr. Stephen Petty. And anytime he does anything, he says, if you have any corrections or recommendations or you disagree with me, please reach out. And he's serious. And that's what we needed. Sometimes Tammy and I go, we can disagree on something. Or I'm like, well, did you think about this factor? That's what we're supposed to do. And what I wish would have been done is that we would have maybe for two weeks stopped to evaluate the hazard, determine the primary round of entry and exposure, which was aerosols, which we knew, and then got the experts together with a multidisciplinary approach. And it should have been televised so that people could have learned what we have trained to do for so long. And that's what really upsets me. I don't know if it's just because I was in the military and then worked for the federal government, but we always ran. Just think about in healthcare, Jody, when you run fire drills with evacuation slides in healthcare, you plan where you have to shelter in place and different things like that. Unnatural disasters, sea burning events. For people that don't know what that is, it's chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear um, attacks. And we have to, you know, triage patients and decon them before they come in. We run these drills. Mm -hmm. So why now? Did we not already have some sort of after action report, lessons learned, and actually be honest about this? 
Um, and I don't like the half admission because like Tammy said, they're admitting, you know, there needs to be reform in the CDC. There was issues, but we're still going to push useless control measures on your face that can cause harm. What we should be doing is have joint exercises with the community, even if they're not governmental hospitals, and actually do these things, get the community involved, get schools involved, and let's not wait for another actual real illness to go around and say, oh, we didn't learn anything from the last one. You know, I hope nothing like this happens again, but I fear that we're going to just keep repeating this because, you know, the government tends to do things that are harder and not smarter. But do you guys agree with that? We should be running joint drills to prepare for this and then make sure that the people on TV who have been sitting there drooling over mainstream media are aware of our professions and what are the limitations of other professions? Because we shouldn't hear a virologist talking about control measures and you shouldn't hear an industrial hygienist talking about treatment. So Kristen, um, real quick, can you um, tell people how to find out a little bit more about the lawsuit and how to support you? Absolutely. And thank you for providing me an opportunity to raise awareness. Um, like I said, I am a totally and permanently disabled veteran. I have two medical issues in which I've actually been unable to wear a respirator since 2012. So I had an exemption before it was a thing. Um, so yes, I was discriminated for my ADA Title III protected disability. So I am suing Delta Airlines with another woman with a very similar story. And I'm doing that to set case precedents because I don't ever want this to happen again. I'm also suing, there's a huge hit piece. If you just look at my name, the first thing that comes up is an article, if you can call it that, from the Daily Beast. And in this hit piece, the, the titled headline says, meet the quote scientist stoking the fourth wave in Michigan. So I have a media outlet accusing me of being inciting the fourth wave of an infectious disease during a pandemic. And then it goes on to question my credentials, uh, mock my disability, fabricate quotes, get citations from not the experts that I referred them to, but experts that disagreed with me who have ulterior motives. And this whole thing, I think the only thing correct in that is my name, where I live, and a few other things. So I'm actually suing the Daily Beast and the American Industrial Hygiene Association, who gave a very defamatory quote there, claiming that a large majority of the members of our professional organization agreed that masks work, which we were never surveyed. We never were. And he admitted that. So I am suing them for defamation. And um, again, my goal is to get my name cleared because I would like to continue to be able to be an expert witness in court. And I'd like to be able to continue to use my credentials to help people. Um, I have been doing what I do on my own dime, but this is very, very expensive. So if anyone would like to donate, skip a coffee. Very easy to remember is Give, Send, Go. And that is GiveSendGo.com forward slash truth in health. That's truth in health. That's awesome. Thank you so much, ladies. Um, I love you like sisters now. And I'm so happy that we connected and we're in this fight together. And I really hope that this um, empowers others um, to come forward. Thank well, you. Thank you Jody. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. And best of luck on this new endeavor. Ah, thank you so much. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. 
So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulvidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. People often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best, freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America out loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me on my inaugural episode. Uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce um, another expert from the American Industrial um, Hygienist and Multidisciplinary Summit, neurosurgeon, Dr. Avery Jackson III, also known as a brain surgeon. Welcome, Dr. Jackson. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Jody. Thanks for having me on. Yes, I appreciate it. Let's start off with your work with children in masks. You know, as a as a brain surgeon, um, I I'd like to hear what led you down the path of um, helping children. So yeah, Jody. So um, one of the things that I I noted, you know, I did I did some research in my my training. Um, in brain injury and some of the complications of brain injury and also of decreased oxygen levels, of increased carbon dioxide levels in the brain. And, uh, and so did that research. So um, when my, uh, my daughter, my eight-year-old, you know, was wearing the mask initially in schools early on, um, she complained of headaches and her, the teacher said she's, you know, her attention wasn't there. And, you know, then I kind of started to ask her, you know, talk with her and put two and two together. And then I said, hey, there's something to this. And then, of course, I saw, you know, Tammy Clark, you know, and Kristen Megan Kelly and, you know, and Dr. Petty and started to realize, wow, there is a lot, a lot to unpack here. So I said, well, as a neurosurgeon, knowing brain physiology, let me start to delve into my literature on on brain physiology and what happens with this mask because I'm seeing it literally affect one of my own children. 
And so I immediately dove into some literature. And what I found was I found two articles that spoke on what happens when there's increased carbon dioxide or CO2 levels exposed to a, a person and, or a child or the developing brain? What effects does that have? Because that's kind of what I was seeing. And I also noted that um, we had people place carbon dioxide uh, monitors under their masks and the levels were, were toxic within a short amount of time. So I thought, okay, this makes sense. So I went to there's a, an article in the American Journal of Physiology, and that was out of the University of Utah. In a nutshell, they said they they noted in their studies on uh, the developing brain of rats that with increased carbon dioxide levels, it throws off your brain excitability or your brain electricity, as well as the balance of your electrolytes, you know, your magnesium and your calcium and so forth, potassium. And then they also noted that when there was an abrupt withdrawal, so when you went from high carbon dioxide levels, like for instance, if you're wearing a mask all day and then you took it off when you got home, what was what would happen in the developing brain? And what they noted was at high carbon dioxide levels, there was an anesthetic effect. So poor attention, uh, sleepiness, drowsiness. Um, and then when they took the mask off within 30 seconds to a minute, that in this study I mentioned to you that actually seizures developed. And so the brain, you know, electricity was all thrown off. And so the carbon dioxide levels, they basically concluded with decreased carbon dioxide levels, they noted that the amount of sodium and potassium in the brain cells were markedly decreased and, and that caused all these problems. Then the second paper that we looked at, again, this was by uh, in biotech and histochemistry 2014 study. Um, the Mayo Clinic uh, published this and they looked at the developing brain and noted that how vulnerable it was to increase carbon dioxide levels and said, when the circuitry of the brain malfunctions, especially as it's developing, especially in kids, what happens? Well, anxiety increases, Spatial learning um, will decrease and are, is affected, memory is affected, and also insulin-like growth factor one is affected, which is key in playing a role in early brain development in, in, um, you know, in, in the rat model and other brains. So this was a real problem. And then it went on to talk about how in the memory parts of the brain called the hippocampus, that those areas were affected when there was increased carbon dioxide levels. So, and then the last study that that I just want to mention is there was a study, um, and this was by Fang Zhu et al., University of Texas Southwest, and also in collaboration with the NIH, a 2011 study in the Journal of uh, Cerebral Blood Flow and Metabolism. And what they did was they looked at um, they wanted to understand carbon dioxide's effect on the on the brain in humans and adults. And so the study was a very, very well done detailed study where carbon dioxide levels were inhaled at different uh, percentages. And then while it was inhaled, they wanted to look at the metabolism levels of the brain and how it uh, how it functioned and absorbed energy when they were breathing this enriched carbon dioxide. And so they looked at the electrical activity levels, EEG, under normal room air, and then when carbon dioxide levels were elevated in healthy human subjects, then they looked at the metabolism levels, as I mentioned, and then they also looked at um, um, a, a spontaneous 
um, a metabolic activity on a certain type of an MRI. And with all that information, their, their basic conclusion was that the prolonged exposure to carbon dioxide, uh, high levels of carbon dioxide, or even, even low levels caused uh, lower arousal states. So people became sleepier. There was more inattention uh, to detail and the metabolism. So literally the entire brain function and electrical activity was decreased. Right. So this is kind of what I found when I delved into, into the actual data as it relates to the developing brain and to the adult brain. So all that was really consistent with what I was seeing, even for my own daughter, and then hearing these reports from, um, from, from others uh, as well uh, during this time. Right. Um, yeah, I, your um, videos of the children um, that you were assessing, you know, um, really touched me professionally and spiritually. Um, you know, there's nobody else, you know, other than our industrial hygienist. But as far as a, a physician and a surgeon who operates on the brain for prolonged periods of time, you know, to speak up and, and say something and try to help humanity um, was just blew me away. And I was so impressed. Why do nurses and doctors say there are no adverse health effects from prolonged mask wearing because they wear them every day? Yeah. And, you know, that's a great question, you know, Jody. And, and I'll tell you, I think um, the reason that they might say that is because it's a part of the culture during certain procedures or when someone might have, um, you know, a, a, an occasion where there's concern there could be splash, especially in the operating room. I wear a mask every day of my professional life in an operating room. But the thing is, is that in those situations, the, the, the HVAC system, so the, the airflow is really dynamic. It's really cold. And so there's no major effect um, or, you know, you don't feel that effect on, on our bodies. But I tell you what, when, when uh, for the surgeons, I'm sure that all surgeons can, can, can vouch for this and nurses that in the operating room, you feel one way when you're in there, but none of us, and I do mean none of us want to go outside the operating room, even in the hospital and keep our mask on. You will find that, uh, years gone by that you'll, you'd never see a, a, a nurse um, or a surgeon who wears masks every day, so we're comfortable with them, keep that mask on when they leave the operating room environment because you it, it's harder to breathe. So, so I would say part of it is because, yeah, it's something that we do. And, uh, but I think they're, they're not really, uh, really fully thinking about it. And I'll tell you one other thing is as it relates to the kids, just to mention, um, I was approached by some moms and others and they said, Hey, um, you know, my child is having headaches. My child is having these problems, you know, and it started when they were wearing their masks, you know, what, what do you think about it? What can you do? And I, and I said, well, based on, you know, what happened, not only in my, my own personal experience, but, you know, let me, let me interview uh, these children and people and see what happens. And when I did that, what I found was overwhelmingly, they had almost the exact same complaints, headache, dizziness, nausea, inattention issues. And of course mm -hmm. they develop rash and so forth, contact issues. 
and then even infections uh, in the mouth and around the nose. And I said, wow, this is really interesting. So you mean to tell me that they didn't have these symptoms prior to mask wearing and now they do? So I we began to write mask waivers. And, um, and you know, to say, as a physician, in my professional opinion, looking at brain physiology and carbon dioxide levels that were retained, as well as other um, uh, metabolites as well, and, and, and also other waste products that we exhale being retained, seeing that over and over again. And I tell you what's interesting, Jody, is one of the scenarios, the mom, it was really sad. She's talking about how her, her daughter had some speech issues with the masks, couldn't, couldn't um, concentrate, couldn't understand the, 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 uh, the teacher, and then had these horrible headaches. So she went to a neurologist, a particular neurologist, and the neurologist felt that there was absolutely, you know, nothing wrong. Just start taking more medication to stop the headaches. So now she's on two and three medications to try to stop the headaches. And we said, well, why don't you try taking the masks off and see what happens? So we, she got an exemption. And guess what, Jody? Her headaches went away within no time. Right, right. I remember hearing that story. And she was saying that she had to medicate her kid, you know, with um, allergy meds uh, at bedtime and then give them um, some Benadryl in the day. And it's like, oh, my gosh, for what? I mean, I think nurses and doctors literally lost their critical thinking skills through COVID. Completely you know, agreed. You cannot tell me that you breathe better when there's no mask on your face. And so many of them were just using it as a virtue signal or, you know, that they could, you know, they could handle it. Um, I tell you, I, I worked and, you know, all around in the critical care and house supervisor. And I, and I couldn't wear it, you know, I couldn't wear it that long. So. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I, I couldn't either. And I tell you what, like my wife and I, when we come in, we'll walk upstairs and I'm, there's no way you'd suck so much when you'd pass out. Right. Right. Yeah. Like for my son, um, you know, when they went to go back to school, they said, there's no mask. And I said, okay, you can go back to school. And then two days into school, they said, oh, you have to wear a mask um, on Friday. And I pulled him out, you know, without hesitation. And I said, absolutely not. Will you be wearing a mask? We have no idea what the long-term effects are. Whether right. or not you, you could handle it is not the point. You, we don't know what the long-term effects are and I'm not going to, you know, put you into that mind game, you know? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think your point is a solid, solid point, Jody. you know, and that is in terms of what are the long-term effects? Because we know even short-term that it affects brain electrical signals. It affects the metabolism of the brain. It affects the pH or the acid-base balance of the entire body. That's right. Right. So that's a big deal. And I'm not going to gamble on my child or my children to figure it out. Right. Absolutely. Not to mention, you know, you had other studies and, you know, I, I, I suggest people go to standupmichigan.com and um, click in the you have to put your email in. But then you can see the five and a half hour multidisciplinary summit and the approach that all of us have and, you know, the different ways of thinking from nursing to brain surgeons to industrial hygienists, you know, et cetera. Hey, Jody, uh, can I can I mention if I could yeah. that summit 
with Tam, you know that uh, that Tammy Clark and um, you know Kristen Megan Kelly put on was amazing, and here's why: because even in science, you know, you you always want to have different perspectives about a certain problem or issue. That's real science, and I applaud them for having people from very different disciplines, different perspectives come together and then really start to kind of say, what is going on here? And, and I applaud them because they're using true scientific methodology in trying to answer what the problem is and what are solutions. That's right. Yes, it, it was amazing. And I cannot, you know, that's a problem with healthcare. And we'll get into what you're doing here um, to, to help, you know, all of us professionals. Um but I, I can't believe that our government or even our individual hospitals did not incorporate a multidisciplinary approach. And they would have every now and again, infectious disease make the rounds, make sure you know that people are wearing their mask and that. But when I asked, where's the real expert, the industrial hygienist, they look at me like they've never even heard that word before. <laughs> Right. You're absolutely right. And I was perplexed too, Jody, in, in, in that if you have two of the highest, most effective um, methodologies to kill viruses within a hospital um, or in, in any kind of a building, that is to say the HVAC system and the HEPA filters, why weren't those discussed or even um, why weren't we as, as healthcare providers made known that that these were put in place for our safety and that they were put in place by the industrial hygienist. Exactly. Instead, they said, sorry, we don't have enough PPE for you. So you'll have to wear that same mask in and out of isolation and non-isolation rooms all day long. And then you're going to put it in a paper bag to save it for your next shift. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, in terms of sterile techniques, so as a neurosurgeon, as a brain surgeon, like sterile technique is paramount, right? Because otherwise people get spine and brain infections all day long and they'll die. So mm -hmm. we're looking at attention to detail when it comes to sterile technique and how we, you know, gown ourselves and don and doff um, our, our uh, you know, our, our sterile clothes and our sterile, um, you know, garments, as well as how we handle the tissues, right? So we would never take something that we know is contaminated in some way, even if it's our own waste products, you know, from the, from our mouths and breathing and then put it back on, you know, <laughs> knowing that it's going to have an, an impact on the very person and then ultimately have an impact on everyone else around. I mean, if you want to, if you want to capture some really bad bugs, keep wearing a mask on and off. And then when you're, when you've got it on, you can blow through it and everyone else will eventually catch it. Right. I mean, that's, that's really bad. That's right. Yes. It, it it made no sense if the area that we're trying to protect is our respiratory, our, our nose and our mouth, why we would put a dirty, contaminated piece of cloth or useless mask on our face it just blew my mind. And I'll tell you, well, Jody, I'll tell you the, the argument. If you look at the arguments for wearing a mask, for instance, okay, 
um, a lot of the, the the papers were anecdotal about people who wore the mask in a certain room or certain area didn't get COVID, but others did. Okay, so totally anecdotal. And then, you know, when you when you went further into it, there were no control mechanisms. There was no f- tested, no fitting. Um, there were so many parts of wearing a mask, like the masks that you know we, we you and I are speaking of, for instance. That just made no sense whatsoever. And there were plenty of studies that confirmed that the mask wearing was detrimental and was not helpful, at least in the specific um, way that it was described to be. Correct. Absolutely. There was plenty. Like I would tell everybody, you know, on, on every single shift, practically, I would say we are healthcare practitioners and we are supposed to follow the best available science. Don't let the media or Fauci confuse you and say, this is novel. Like we know how a respiratory virus is transmitted. Let's stick with what we know. And, you know, uh, they're walking it back now with the CDC and, you know, they're, they're coming out and, you know, just changing their tune a little bit because they know that we're on to them. Yeah. They, and you know, you Jody, know. I, I, I didn't even know what an industrial hygienist was, even though before all of this, I mean, even though they save our lives every day, but now my newfound respect is through the roof for those who actually do their job, those who care enough about society to do their job and 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 educate us, right, and help protect us. And I would ask that question, just like you pose, why didn't other organizations even mention at all industrial hygienists and what was their role at our particular institution? And also, you know, give us some education about industrial hygienists and what they do and what are their controls and ways to help protect us and and keep us safe. If we thought that the mask was the greatest thing that would protect us, why wouldn't we at least do fit testing for N95s for each individual like we uh, do on a yearly basis in general for all those who weren't fit tested, for all of those other, other, other people um, you know, I find that very curious that, you know, the institutions would break their own um, procedure in that. Yes, exactly. They they um, went under the protocol that was issued by HHS uh, and they stuck to it. And because the president declared this a national emergency, um, all the the hospitals got liability free. You know, our charting requirements changed. We didn't have to, you know, go in the patient's room every hour and check on them anymore. Um, so many of our nursing care um, and and hospital, you know, physicians, you know, if that person if that person came into the ED and they were, you know, complaining of a, a, a swollen belly, and we tested them for COVID, oh, now they're COVID. Almost everything, you know, that we would do protocol wise would just go by the wayside, and if they would do some of the test, that person went up on the floor, admitted as an isolation patient and got less than, you know, standard of care. And that was criminal. Yep. Agreed. Well, one of the things that we're doing, Jody, is 
We're uh, right now um, we're we're at a kind of a rudimentary level, but we are uh, creating and we're helping patients to get really good care and helping to have more dialogue. Um, just like we talked about how a multidisciplinary panel is very scientific. It's something that's been around forever when we're trying to solve problems. So physicians and clinicians and others are getting together across the country to talk about different issues, to solve problems and figure out better ways to take care of patients. And we're doing that right now in something called The Body. It's a, a private membership association. And right now we are forming our all the leadership um, that we believe will be very helpful in this multidisciplinary approach and how we uh, communicate with each other, how we look at data to make sure it's data-driven, and ultimately in the way that we take care of patients. And it is, um, it is, it's Christ-centered. So we're not going to do this in the name of religion. We're going to do this in the name of a person, Jesus Christ, and hold ourselves and our leadership accountable to make sure that we're doing what we said that we would do with the Hippocratic Oath as we take care of the patients around the country that we serve. That is amazing. Yes. Um, how do we find um, the information on the body? Yeah. So on the body right now, if you go to, we have, there's a website because you, you have to be invited. I mean, not a website, but there's an email and, th and that's right now on purpose. But if you go to info at Great Lakes and then a hyphen or dash echo, E-C-H-O dot com. So info at Great Lakes hyphen echo, that's E-C-H-O dot com. So info at Great Lakes hyphen echo dot com. And you just inquire, tell me about the body. I'm interested. I want to join, what have you. Then we'll be able to send the information to you. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I know we can talk for hours. <laughs> I know we could. <laughs> uh, we are limited to time. Uh, you you have a, a, a blessed evening. And uh, thank you so much, Dr. Jackson. Oh, sure. Jody, thank you. God bless you. God bless.